Hello, dear ones. You're listening to the What God Is Not podcast with Father Michael O'Loughlin and Mother Natalia. Hello, listeners. This is Mother Natalia's Squirrel Cowboy giving the introduction for Father Michael's episode. In this episode, we speak with Father Nathan Simeon Adams and his wife, Pawnee Alley, about what it's like to be married Byzantine priests. You'll also get to hear the difference in how a father and a mother classify having children, whether it be by the date of the birth or the date of the conception. (laughs) If you want to skip ahead because you don't like banter, jump ahead 11 minutes and 9 seconds from this point. But if you like the banter, it's all about Father Michael being mad we make fun of him. Glory to Jesus Christ. Glory to him forever. forever. Hello, we have uh, two very special guests and two just special guests today. So, (laughs) (laughs) which two are which? Which two are which? Um, So, just our our special guests. Um, We're recording on the same day, by the way, that we recorded the Culture of Bears podcast. Um, But we have we brought in one extra person and lost one extra person. So, uh, Mother Mother Natalia, whatever your name is, are both here. (laughs) I am having my first beer of the day. I've had had three sips. I promise, nothing else. Three sips of one beer. Um, I had quite a few Red Bulls, though. Uh, Okay, Okay. Cowboy Cowboy did that on purpose. Hopefully you all heard the beer open. Cowboys been dreaming of this. This is a bucket list item of Cowboys to open a beer live on What God Is Not. Um, so we have a cowboy here who doesn't have a microphone. We took it away from him. <laughs> <laughs> we have Maddie here. We have to take hers away too, although we, there's no fear for using it. Because <laughs> we talked about fear the last time, but what we didn't say was that Maddie was not afraid at all of the escape room. She's very afraid of talking on podcasts. <laughs> um, so we all have different fears. Um, but then our very special guests today are Father Nathan Simeon Adams and his lovely wife, Allie Adams. Um, now the uh, priest and pani at Our Lady of Wisdom Byzantine Catholic Church at Greek Catholic Church in uh, Las Vegas, Nevada. Whoop, whoop. So come visit them, check them out, have them sign an autograph. You can take a selfie with them, etc. <laughs> Now they're on the podcast. Um, Ali can't give blessings. Got away. But I'm really excited for this podcast because Ali's so worried about saying something we have to edit out. Mm-hmm. I know. But I'm, ju- I'm just really <laughs> excited. I know I will. I just know <laughs> I will. <laughs> I'm just excited trying to get you to say something that we have to edit out. <laughs> Especially because I'm drinking a beer. I think Ali's having her first beer of the day, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> so, by the way, it's six in the morning here. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Las Vegas time. Just kidding. That was a joke. It, it was a joke. Yeah, yeah. It's not six in the morning. <laughs> so we're out here visiting Father Nathan because he's gone for a whole, he's been gone from the Proto Cathedral for a whole like six weeks. And uh and so we brought out a little crew to to say hi and to visit. It's great. It's a you quick guys. drive from LA. It's not far. It's, yeah, it's only four hours yeah. from our part of LA. Um, from Valeria's part of LA, it's only three hours because um, of traffic. Um, so, but they also have uh, five beautiful daughters between the ages of three and thirteen. Um, I would five, say Father Nathan five is thirteen. Five? What? Five. Molly's five. <laughs> Molly's five. How yeah. old am I? Wait, but when you first arrived at the Proto Cathedral, she was she three was three then. Yes. Okay. She that does. was two years ago, though. Yeah. <laughs> I'm paying attention to Sydney getting older, but I'm not paying attention to Molly getting older. Um, <laughs> That's funny. 
And I think you're 44. You asked how old you were. Yes. Is that correct? Did I? You said, "I'll hold them." You know, I, I actually, I actually preached this in homily, and I got a little bit. You guys were there. We know Maddie wasn't there. Cowboy, Cowboy was, I'm sure. But I was like, I started off by saying, "You know, we can't like weaknesses in Christianity are good. Like my power is made perfect in weakness. Like that's like I, I love. I have a whole theology and developing one of weakness and how important weakness is. You have a whole theology. I do. I'm, I'm developing this whole theology of weakness." Um, because I think it's so incredibly important, um, and so I we have parishioners. You'll you know who you are if you're listening. Who who will mock public personas for for simple weaknesses? Like if we have a public persona who is who is militantly pro-choice, or you know just just teaching something intentionally and adamantly against the teachings of the church and against Jesus Christ. Like, yes, we can mock them. You can, I mean, we, there's a lot we can do because we're actually, you know, something has got to change and they're so entrenched in evil that you, you can, you can do certain things like, you know, Chesterton says and, and C.S. Lewis say we can mock the devil. You know, there, there are certain ways of doing that. We got to be very careful with that. But, um, anyway, so, but when people make fun of someone for very human weaknesses, mm-hmm. um, I'm just like, because if it's a mental disorder or a stutter or or like, I was saying like with Joe Are Biden. Are you just looking at me? To no, 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 no. Of me no I was I was just looking around the room. I promise. Um, but like with Joe Biden, he just says the wrong thing. He'll say something like, "I was it." What did he say? He said something like, um, "You know, many many friends like me have cancer." You know, mm-hmm. and and so he was saying he had he objected that he doesn't have cancer. He mm-hmm. he misspoke. Yeah, and people were like mocking him relentlessly for this on social media. Are you like, calling Father Nathan Simeon I don't out like, for doing this to you? No, he didn't. No, 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 no. About I'll, asking how old am I? <laughs> yes. Yeah, so what I'm saying is no, no, no. I'm saying don't make fun of Joe Biden for some simple human weakness because we all have them, and uh-huh. we can actually use these for the glory of God. Mock him because he's incredibly pro-choice and calls himself Catholic. Like, yes, that's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But 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 for like. Like misspeaking, so that's just a human weakness that we shouldn't mock someone for. I'm, I'm that's sorry. This makes me sound like horrible, Father Nathan. Like unless it's funny, <laughs> <laughs> right? And, and if the person, and I, you're I right, like nuance, you're right. Like that's we actually a really good point. We should mock. I think that we can mock the contradiction without mocking him as a person. Like yes. Yes, I, and, and and like Father Nathan and I know each other, love each other, so you can you can absolutely mock each other for in ways that you know is not going to hurt them. You know, um, Father Nathan's one of his favorite homily starts is is saying how I misspoke, <laughs> like praying praying for a. I probably said this on the podcast already, but praying that someone deceased instead of going to a place of light, I said send them, O Lord, to a plate of lice. <laughs> <laughs> One of the nuns recently was praying grace be- the um grace, the prayer before meals. And um instead of saying, May their hearts find life, she said, May their farts hind life. Hind <laughs> <laughs> life. Yeah, I think I think though there there's so there's something important about Allie was worried she was gonna be the one that needed edited. <laughs> There's there's something important about being able to not take yourself so seriously, yes. but yes. at the same time, I agree with you that that it's important that we're not focusing on on um, basically basically here's what I like to tell folks and tell myself I don't have a right to get angry unless the person's offended God. Mm. Mm. Yeah, you know, and if we make that our our moral judgment point, yeah. 
we'd all be doing a lot better. Yeah, yeah, I, I like that. I like that. That also that also uh, is is a sign of a health that is uncommon these days. You know, the mm-hmm. the ability to to laugh at ourselves, or like I've said, the only times I think I told mother this recently, the only times I'm really sad. Like I don't get sad that often. The only times I'm really sad is if somebody points out one of my weaknesses that I know I have. It was you said that on the podcast, did I? Uh And and it's like a wound, and I go like that. I should not. It's my fault. I'm getting sad. It's Mm -hmm. my fault that I'm I'm anxious or whatever, stressed out. It's my fault because because I know this is a weakness, and as I grow in this and turn it into a virtue, then I won't. I objectively will not get sad anymore about that because I know I've grown from it. But if someone points out something that I know is a weakness of mine, it's been a wound. I have not been able to fix it yet, and they point it out again. That like sends me into like a, a, a what, what's the term struggle bus? <laughs> like is that, is that your thing, mother? I think that's your thing. Um, it's one of the other nuns. <laughs> one of the nuns. Yeah. Like, like it just it's, it sends me into like like if I ever get anxiety, that's my anxiety. It's like oh my gosh, I thought I I thought I could kind of deny that that was the case with me and it was just brought to the front again. A light's been shed on this thing that was kind of hidden in darkness for a while and now the light's there so I'm, I don't like it being out in the light. I don't like the fact that my weaknesses are being shown again and people are realizing it again and bringing it up again. It's now in the light again. So there, there, there's, a, there's a certain vice to that so my own, my own struggles at that time are my own fault. But, but so that's exactly it. Like, you know, we can, I, th- I think, but when we, what I've seen on social media was when people were, were talking about Biden that way, they were, they were mocking him just to mock him, like to, to yeah. poke at his weaknesses. But you didn't see any like pro choice Democrats doing that. You know, not to say it was, it was all people that didn't like him. They were finding right. any reason to put yeah, him out. Yeah, mo- mocking like human, human frailties is, yeah, is, uh, is certainly a, a sin. Thomas Aquinas actually has categories. Of what kind of mocking Can is permissible? We just point out that Father Nathan Simeon just referenced Thomas Aquinas. <laughs> it's like it's really. Well, I read though. things. I, I read books, and you know, every once in a while, I'll, I'll throw a little zinger out there. <laughs> this is, I, by the way, I'm I just sorry, figured wait, out what something. Was Tom, what did Thomas Aquinas? I cut you off. I was so shocked. He he categorizes. Basically, reasons you're allowed to make fun of people. Uh huh. And and you know, you're not supposed to make fun of. Basically, human weaknesses. Yeah. Um, you're not supposed to have malice when you're making fun of people. But he does talk about that thing. Uh, what's it? Utropelia, where it can actually mm-hmm. be uh, helpful for correcting and for, you know, learning how to kind of take yourself a little less yeah. seriously and and helping people through humor to come back to reality, which I do think is a helpful helpful yeah. tool. Absolutely. At times, because what is what is humor? But but paying attention to what is irrational that we do. Yeah. And so that's it's helpful to to use humor to bring us back to reason, back to processing properly. That's an interesting thing that would have made would have been helpful for the last podcast because, in the same way that the ladies were screaming, we were laughing, and it's kind of the same. I wonder if like screaming and laughing actually kind of has the same. You. There's yeah. something. Maybe you guys cover your fear up with laughter. <laughs> well, I brought that up at the beginning. So I, I really, yeah. I, we weren't doing it because there was no yeah. fear. But I, I think you're right, and that we were maybe, <laughs> maybe subconsciously trying to remind the ladies this isn't real. Yeah, don't worry. 
there, there was something about the irrationality of the whole thing that we had very different reactions to. Yeah. We're, we're talking about an escape route, by the way. Get ready, mean? everybody. This is Culture of Bears Part 2. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I just figured something out. Yes. This is this is what you call banter. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> because because, banter, because exactly. for the first like five minutes, or maybe it's been ten minutes now, okay. I've been thinking, what in the world does this have to do with a married priesthood? <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly, this I was like, "Oh, banter. Banter. I think that, was, banter. that was a great transition into our topic." Yes, yeah. there we go. Because we're we're over our our self hoped for limit. Um, um, so uh, anyway, so one of our most requested topics on this, I would probably say one of the most requested topics on this podcast ever. Um, and it's it all, might even be the most requested. It probably is. And yeah. and I think this is because I, I, I'm sure the majority of our podcast listeners are Roman Catholic. I mean, we have, we get like 3,500 downloads an episode and, and we don't, there's barely that many Byzantine Catholics in the whole country, um, especially with Athenians. So, so we have a lot of Roman Catholic listeners. And so the things like Eucharist for infants is always going to be a fascination. Um, you know, uh, married priesthood is another one, mm-hmm. uh, certainly a fascination. So um, we could certainly talk. We've had Father Joel Barstad on um, to talk about marriage. We've talked about him being a him being a uh, <laughs> him being a, a married priest. But um, I'd I'd love to jump in with both of you here, Father Nathan and Allie, because I think I think Father Joel said that his wife would never come on. She's more like Maddie, um, mm-hmm. just a little, little bit, a um, little bit nervous about about public and. Podcast. I didn't really want to, but Father Mike <laughs> talked me into it. <laughs> I just call him like Allie. Uh, this is what we're doing. It's for the glory of God. Also, Father um, Nathan and Allie are like two of my favorite people in the world. The Aww. part of the reason, actually, the reason this whole trip started was because I was so sad that I wasn't going to see them mm-hmm. on my retreat when I found out that they had been moved. That I was like, Father Michael, mm-hmm. uh, the day before my retreat is a feast day, so we have the day off. If Mother gives permission. Can we just go visit Father Nathan and Allie yeah. before retreat since I'm not going to see them? So that's what we're so, doing. Yeah, Love so they're mother. just like really great. And I'm excited to share them with everybody. Amen. The feelings are mutual. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Amen. All right. Well, thank you. Um, so uh, I, Father Nathan and I have talked a lot about this. And I don't think we're going to do, we can actually make this podcast into this if you want. But we were able to work together for a year. And so at the Proto Cathedral St. Mary in Los Angeles, we had a married priest and a celibate priest. I had already been there a year and a half when they arrived. Um, so the parish had never had a married priest before. Um, this parish is, is, was founded in the late fifties. Um, never had a married priest before. So this was kind of a, a shock in that way, I think, to the people. Um, but then, uh, so they still had a celibate and they were able to have a, a married man there as well. And, People ask us all the time, what is the benefit of one over the other? You know, wh- why do you, I had somebody ask me the other day, you know, um, so explain to me why the married priesthood is a good thing. And I said, I actually think the burden of proof is the other way around. Mm. In the East, the assumption is that it's a married priest in a, in a parish. The celibates are going to be in monasteries. So there's, there's, there's community there. I belong to a community in Denver, the Companions of Christ, for a long time. Um, in the East, celibate priesthood is certainly a, a new thing. Um, and, and that aspect of, of leading a parish alone when you are celibate. Um, when, when monks were made bishops, I know that was one of the main mourning that they had was they had discerned monasticism. And so they had gone to live lives of celibacy, asceticism in community with other men who, who, who honed their virtue through community life. Correct me if I'm wrong, mother, but most women, 
um, when they're discerning um, monasticism, will will say like, "What do you think the hardest part's going to be? You know, poverty, chastity, obedience." And they'll usually choose one, and then they get into community life. By the, after a year, they're like, uh, "None of the above. It's community life." Like, 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 oh yeah, 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 so, absolutely. So, so like the the, community- the things that I thought would be the hardest um, things about like the not having not having a husband, not having kids, not like all of those things. Um, it's hard. Uh, like it's definitely hard sometimes, but it's much more so the like the like. Why are people still not rinsing their dishes? Like we brought this up <laughs> yeah. at every single community meeting. Like it's those little things that grade on you day after day. Like yeah. yeah. So so in other words, it, I, I think I'm my vocation, which at this point in my life is to be a celibate pastor of a parish, um, is is kind of a unique thing in the East, certainly, but not in the U.S., where where the vast majority of, of priests and parishes are run by celibates. But um, I guess I would love to hear. Before, hold on, before you go on, I'm yes. sorry. This sounds very fundamental because it is. But um, I was giving a, I gave multiple talks recently, and I kept referring to celibacy. And then finally, at the end of some of the talks, uh, someone asked, like, "What is celibacy? Can you just?" So I think celibacy it's the just context, means but. not being married. Um, so people misuse the word celibacy a lot nowadays, like especially on TV and sitcoms. That they they think it means I'm like taking a break from sex for a while. Like if someone <laughs> says like they're oh well, like they're dating, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna be celibate for a year. They mean just not sleeping around. Um, but celibate actually just means not married. Um, so so a celibate priest is is any like monks nuns are all celibate, right? That they're they're not married. They they live a life of asceticism and cling to Christ in a sense. Um, through that asceticism, live life of the cross. And um, that would be like a vow for life when you when you make exactly it. Right, yeah. good, good 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 question. So yes, celibacy is is a vow in, in religious life and monasticism or a promise in in current day priesthood. To, to that you're going to be unmarried for life. Mm-hmm. No, no, no spouse, no kids. Um, obviously a supernatural calling, um, empowered by God. But in the East, it, it's, it's fundamentally a life of asceticism, a life of, of great sacrifice within community life to grow in holiness and, and live, live the life of the, the objectively a, a life objectively ordered towards holiness and really nothing else. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously we can, for the vocation, there's various ways of doing this, but it's, it's a life of, of martyrdom, of, of complete self-gift. So, but, um, so thank you for that. Um, but I would love to love a, a Father Nathan, actually real quick, can you guys give us just a five minute, your vocation story from your first inklings of Christianity to, to where you are now? Yeah, sure. Um, so it's, it's Five gonna, minutes, Father Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> no, I can do this pretty quick um, because this this is I've been forced to having to do that quickly. Um, You've taken up twenty seconds. So <laughs> he's gonna ignore. So <laughs> um, at about at about sixteen, um, I came to the Lord. I was previously um, I studied with the Jehovah's Witness. Before that, I was I was um, an agnostic. And um, with through studying the scriptures, I eventually started kind of realizing, well, Jehovah's Witness is wrong. They don't have an answer to a 16-year-old, so they clearly don't have this this whole Christianity thing figured out. Um, meantime, Allie was raised um, uh, through missionary parents, um, uh, evangelical tradition, though she was baptized Catholic. Um, and um, about... When I started serving the Lord, she was pretty like maybe maybe six months to a year after that, you really started trying to follow mm-hmm. Christ. And 
um, she ends up going on a mission out to um, Fiji and we'll New that. Zealand. She comes back. <laughs> I head out to Australia, Samoa, New Zealand, and then we start talking on the phone and decide, you know, what, let's go to let's go to Bible College, try to figure things out. So we go to Calvary Chapel Bible College, do that together. Uh, for the first year, we fall in love. Um, go to England where we get engaged. Um, we get married about six months later. And then I go to seminary, or Baptist seminary. Have big questions. I uh, want to study philosophy to learn how to answer big questions. And so I go do a degree in philosophy and reform theological seminary in Florida. That's where we had, um, where we first uh, got pregnant mm -hmm. and uh, had Sydney in 2009. Eight. We moved 2008. 2008 was the conception or the. <laughs> Guess that's my birth term. So we get back in 2009. We, yeah, that's uh, that's married priest business, guys. Um, so then, then we get back. We finish up the MDiv. Um, I do um, another degree in patristics out at Neshota House. Allie and I, we um, we start going the Anglican track. Allie never became Anglican. She wasn't quite convinced I was done. <laughs> Um, so she's kind of like holding on for dear life, yeah. <laughs> and um, uh, almost, almost became orthodox. And then, in, in dear, in, in in time, we met a group of monks, uh, Holy Resurrection Monastery, and they became kind of my spiritual uh, parentage. We've had Father Maximus on the podcast before. Mm. He's from Holy Resurrection. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. Father Maximus is my spiritual father. And uh, I certainly have to give credit to Abilene Nicholas as well. Um, and what happens is we we basically decide to become Byzantine Catholic. Um, a, a big part of that is our desire to be in uh, communion with all of the saints. Um, and uh, even if it's uh, sometimes tumultuous uh, situation, we want it to be in communion we with all of the saints. We studied together at the Anglican Seminary for about four or five weeks before we made the decision to to leave. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and Ali had Ali went to Holy Resurrection Monastery with me. Right. And they were just so receptive to her and and to me that she was ready to go after our studies. Mm -hmm. And so we we packed up, we moved away from our last semester at the Anglican Seminary about 3 months before ordination and we moved right next to the monastery for 6 months and then we from there went and worked at the cathedral in Cleveland and then I went to seminary, and then I was ordained three years ago. Mm -hmm. um, and so that, in short. At which point did you conceive your other children? <laughs> <laughs> it's, there's no telling. <laughs> yeah, we don't have that all figured out. We can, we can guesstimate. Just, yeah. <laughs> 2008, she was born, not conceived. Yeah. I'm just, yeah, or, or maybe, but... I don't think it, you're right. I'm right. <laughs> Hold on. He's looking at his ring. De this De is my December from... 2008, she was born. Born, so yeah, maybe maybe back in the. Okay, but this is my in, MA, this, 2008 is my graduation ring. Okay. I thought he had like the birthday of his so children. Nice. No, 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 no. He has his graduation date on his ring. Yeah. Yeah, she was conceived. Yeah, ten months before December fifth. So still in 2008. Oh, I'm not. You were right. You were right. I got You're corrected right. by my by a prisoner. Right. I had a prisoner that there are only three children. All were born in December. And I was like, Valentine's babies. And she's like, no, Father, St. Patrick's Day babies. So I go, okay. <laughs> sorry, sorry. 
All right. Um, so thank you for that. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's actually, I wanted you to do that because it's a fascinating story and a movement through from agnosticism through many different mm -hmm. um, kind of increasing in, in orthodoxy up till. Yeah, I wish I could do more justice to the story because just talking about degrees that I, that I went yeah. through doesn't really do a whole mm -hmm. lot. But yeah. that in short is, yeah. is Amen. part of the process. Yeah. Like it's, a, it's a way of telling the story which has some meat to it. But yeah. there are m certainly much deeper spiritual theological Questions. Maybe we can come back on some part time of that. And, yeah, and so many people, so many people, you know, along the way who just embraced us and taught us and helped us along the way. I'd say the monks being big in that in the beginning. Mm -hmm. So, if you were to give a, I, I mentioned the word TED Talk earlier. You didn't know what that was. Um, TED Talks are like twenty-minute videos on YouTube that where people kind of give a, a twenty-minute under 20 minute presentation on their, their favorite things relating to technology, hmm. uh, entertainment. No, what is it, Maddie? Yeah, but it is, but what it TED stands, stands for. for technology, look it up. Engineering, and engineering. I think it's engineering People are yelling at the, at their computers right now. And it's usually cowboy doing this. Yeah. If he's looking it up, he can't, <laughs> this is a total squirrel. This is a total perla. Um, we'll, we'll, we're going to report back in one minute, but it's, it's people, people talk about whatever they want to like the most passionate thing for 20 minutes. Um, so I would love your, uh, not 20 minutes, but, uh, what is it? Cowboy? Technology, entertainment, and design. Technology, entertainment, and design is what TED stands for. But, um, but the, uh, what, what is it, what is at the heart of your, now you've been a priest three years, you've been in three to four different parish situations in the, in those three years. Um, how, how does your priesthood affect your marriage and family life? And how does your marriage and family life affect your priesthood? Particularly emphasizing the areas of technology, entertainment. You know, there, there's a lot to say on this. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I was, I was telling Father Mike that I got a phone call the other day where someone said, Father, could you tell me kind of the, the benefits and maybe the problem areas in being a married priest? And I said, I, I could take you through, and I, and I did. And I said, here is where um, being a married priest is easier. Here's where it's harder. Here's where it has a benefit. Here's where it doesn't have benefit. And, and most every time, it's the same kinds of things that are both helpful and unhelpful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So let me, let me just give you an example. Um, uh, I, was out, I was out here for a month um, on my own while, while my family was back uh, in L.A., right? Oh, that's, that must have been weird. It was totally Bachelor weird. Bachelor for a month. It, it was totally weird, but it was really easy to be a priest. Uh -huh. <laughs> really easy uh -huh. because I could completely focus on the parish. Mm -hmm. and, and so it was just, it was simple, really simple. And then come home and not have all the... Not come home and it's, yeah. it's easy. You just come home and... All right, what do I do now? Well, I just do whatever I want. I mean, I'm done. I worked all day. And I worked all day. I worked, no, never. I, no, I have to backtrack. Um, so, so, no, I'm just kidding. I have no problem with that, but that's not my, uh, my particular thing. Um, so I come, you know, I, 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 I thought, boy, this is, this is really easy. easy to pray. It's easy to, to have, to, to meet with people. It's easy to go out of my way. Um, and so 
being being a celibate for a month, right? That's a, a you just learned that's an improper yeah. use of the terminology. We know, what but you mean. pretending to be a celibate for the month, um, what it made it made the priesthood uh, much easier. However, that can be very self-deceptive um, because that means that I wasn't experiencing what my people are, are typically experiencing mm. on a day-to-day. Mm-hmm. That means that um, when I'm worn out and tired, I get to go home and just focus on me time. Mm-hmm. That's not what most of our people are, are doing. Mm-hmm. They're, not, they're not allowed to do that, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so having a family has this way of forcing you to grow up. It has a way of forcing you to get over yourself, not just when you want to get over yourself, um, but it demands you get over yourself without, without qualifications. So, be, so you can see the, the very same thing that is a benefit to the celibate um, could also be a downfall for the celibate. Mm-hmm. And the very same thing that's a benefit for the married guy could be a downfall for the married guy. Because on the, on the contrary, what that means is that if the married guy gets overwhelmed with household mm-hmm. responsibilities or difficulties in life uh, with his family, um, they, they could easily neglect the parish, right? Uh, and so I, I, think, and I think this is really a relevant conversation to consider because if I interpret 1 Corinthians chapter 7, which by the way is where St. Paul talks about it being preferable to be um, uh, to be unmarried. And by the way, he's not just talking about the priesthood. He's talking about for everybody there in that passage. Um, I, I think Paul's really being practical. He's talking in a particular context, which is under uh, persecution from the, from the empire. And he's saying, how can I really do this gospel thing really well? And um, he's saying, well, it's really hard to be a married person at mm. this time. You, you already get a preview of this in, in the gospel of Matthew. Right where he talks about the, the end. I think it's Matthew chapter twenty-four, where Jesus talks about you know woe to the person, woe to the woman who's pregnant during this time. Mm-hmm. She should flee to the mountain. Right. Well, well, this is a preview of the the eschatological world that the early church was going through. Saint Paul, most theologians would agree, uh, believed that the end was uh, on the brink at any point. And so Saint Paul is saying it's better not to be married because then you can focus on the gospel. Otherwise, you're going to be focused on your wife. You're going to be focused on your family. How you can keep them alive during this tribulation, right? So I think Paul was very practical, and when he when he talked about why you should or should not be married, mm-hmm. um, it wasn't a, it was not a it was not an issue about the priesthood. Paul didn't have in mind the priesthood there. He was talking about any Christian should really think about this question: be married, not to be married. Why? Because we want to make sure we're focusing on the gospel. Can you really do that well in the context of our current climate, right? And so. Answering this question about the priesthood from, from a practical grid, I think is the most biblical, biblically responsible way of doing it. And so this question can be asked at different times in different situations with different answers, all based on the contextual perimeter we're actually working within, right? And so that, that, that may be the, the, the thing that I'd want to emphasize in, in talking about the practical benefits or the benefits of being a priest as married or, or, or as an unmarried priest, right? What are the real practical realities to it? And I, I want to, if we have time for this, I want to talk about it. If not, we'll do it some other time. But I think the practical is, is, is a very good place to go. And the, I think the, the question for celibate priests and pastors like me would be, 
um, then like what is the hard part? And and I it is it is the you know if if you would spent six months without your wife and girls, you know. Right. It would have been it would have been a lot harder. And you probably would have said, I have all this time to do all these things, but like I, I'm there's something I'm not doing it as well because I don't have mm-hmm. my wife and my my daughters here to to live this normal life that is obviously going to be something that is 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 allowing me to have the confidence, the wherewithal, the the holiness um to actually serve my people. And so I, I think I wonder with me what is you know, there's obviously some the struggles of celibacy could be debilitating to my ministry as a celibate. I I, I hope they're not through my through my semi and well not semi but my 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 desire for a certain monasticism that comes with living celibacy. Um, that there is a certain it could be debilitating to for as just saying I'm lacking something. I am lacking the the practical about learning how to. Um, love and to mature and to grow up and to like be called out when I don't want to be called out and not have a certain freedom um, that I do have as a celibate, mm-hmm. but that can actually be debilitating. And you, like as Mother and I have talked about many times, like there, there's still there's still a lot in me that just wants a wife, wants a companion, wants someone to love, wants someone to love most, wants someone to love me most, wants children to help raise and to to have them grow in the faith and and. The way that I think the men who I've known personally who have left the celibate priesthood, they left the priesthood to get married. Like that was debilitating for them. Mm-hmm. There was something so lacking in their life that they could not focus, they could not function, they could not serve, they could not do that because they were lacking these common goods that God offers to them. They didn't accept it. Um, I think the practical is a great place to go, especially scripturally. I like how you explain that, Father Nathan. And I, I just wonder if. I've been very happy in my celibacy, thank God, for 18 years now. But, but what is what does it look like to to have that be actually? I almost made a joke, but he's been a priest for 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was the same number for 17 years, years but yeah, yeah, including diaconate. Yeah. But um, so yes, so so I guess, I guess that's that would be thinking as from the celibate point of view. That would be in what ways is the ideal you saw for a month. Not the continuing ideal, but in all honesty, I'm saying that because I think it is for me. I mean, my my life is very much like what yours was for a month. Thank God, I'm just a happy guy, and I I love He's a happy happy, happy guy. <laughs> a guy that can like like serve in that way. And God has given me that gift, and I hope I pray that it continues. But anyway, I I want to throw that out there as as kind of a reflection upon that. Like so, let me let me just get this straight. So, um, and by the way, that was that was really good. Uh, just what Father Mike just said was a bit humbling for me because I, I of course it's true. I was only. I was only pretending to be a celibate for a month. I, I don't know what the long-term um, experience would actually be like. And just a, a quick little kind of um, uh, shout out there. Father Jason Sharon once said um, that the greatest temptation for a married man is to be a celibate. Mm-hmm. And the greatest temptation for a celibate <laughs> is to be a married man. Yeah. Um, so we we have not long-term experienced either of each other's yeah. uh, the struggles in the, in the direct way. Certainly, um, us being together and having conversation, uh, we're aware of some of those struggles from a second-hand experience, but not... Uh, directly, so that's a that's a fair that's a fair point. Okay, now so now let me can I can I understand your question a little more clearly here? Yes. Are you telling me to try to convince you that you of all the goods you could have had if only you were um, a married priest? Is is that what you're asking me to do? You know, I I think that honestly, the fact that you were married 
so long before you could ordain a priest. Mm. And the fact that I discerned celibacy in the beginning of my discernment in a Roman Catholic context, because mm. I discerned at University of Steubenville when I was living a Roman Catholic life, even though I was attending a Byzantine parish every once in a while, um, that there, there was still, uh, I think, a rootedness and a foundation that you and I have. Um, but I did discern married priesthood intentionally discern it. And they've, they've all heard that story. So I don't know if, because I think it's true what, what Father Jason said, like there's certainly a, my, my core, my core, if somebody said, what are you lacking father? What are you lacking? I would probably say something related to I'm, I, I'm lacking a wife and kids. Like, like if I had to find the core of my poverty, if you will, the core of my poverty is, is a wife and children is, is married life with family. And I wonder if the core poverty of someone who's married men Mm. and women would be, would be how different my life would be if I didn't have this family and children. And I'm saying how different my life would be if I had like the most, like it's, it's more different than I live in LA. It's, I, what if my life was live? If I lived in, you know, on the on the peninsula in Norway and 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 ran a lighthouse, mm-hmm. like my life would be more different if I had a wife and kids in LA than it would be if I lived in Norway and ran a lighthouse. Mm-hmm. Like my 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 marriage and family status is like the biggest thing in my life that I say that's a difference and that's something that 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 is a certain poverty that I've embraced and I love and I'm living it out. I hope pr- particularly well, but I'm wondering if that's what Father Jason was saying. I wonder if the same thing could be said. I'm mm-hmm. looking at you too, Ali, because like it's like family, spouse, and family is kind of the foundation of everything. So it's therefore celibacy is too, and so yeah. we we live out everything on top of that, including mission and vocation and parish life, uh, built on that foundation. I think that's fair to say. Mm-hmm. I think that's fair to say that the busyness of life for a, a married person, especially with children, mm-hmm. especially with children, yeah. Yeah. not just a married person, but especially with children, um, it does it does get difficult yeah. at times not to have um, that personal time, yeah. that, that time to pray. I mean- Right, it's always there. As soon as you wake up, I think Jordan Peter said, Peterson said something like, you haven't fully grown up until you've had children, but he said there's exceptions to that rule. But you wake up, your kids are hungry. Before you think of yourself, you have to think of your kids, you know, and your kids want this and they want that. And so it's a constant giving of yourself up for the sake of your children and your spouse. Um, But it matures you in a different a different way, the, the giving of yourself up, the constant giving up of yourself for another person, um, it takes you to a, a, a level with God, I think, that, that is difficult to get to without children. But, but also, would, wouldn't you say that there's a sense in which we, we, you lose something? You lose something, because you yeah. Because you don't, you don't have, you don't have the, the time to focus on yourself. Right. Or you know, what I mean by that is you don't have time to, I have to get up at 4.30 if I want to pray and, and read books, right? God, yeah. and, I, and, I, and I'm in a different situation than you because I mm-hmm. actually get to go to a church every day mm-hmm. and, and spend time here. Um, but for you, you wake up, 
and it's, you're on the go. And so you right. lose that, that time to pray. You do. If you're not on the ball, you got to be on the ball. You do. In other words, you lose your time to pray. You lose your only time like to I read. Like I took it last night at you, midnight because I knew I wasn't going to be able to get it in the morning. And at, at midnight, I woke up and, and read, you know, My Only Friend is Darkness, the book that we talked about. Oh, Barbara Dunn. Yeah. So good. Because I knew I needed some deep time with God and it wasn't going to be there in the morning for me, mm-hmm. but I could get it in that in the middle of the night. So yes, you have to only tra- yeah. Right. So you do lose, you do lose you do. quite a bit there. And another point, another point of reference, and this I got this from you, but now I've also gotten it from plenty of other moms. Um, a lot of women um, who have babies lose the kind of joy they once had in the divine liturgy. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. Yes. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Like what that was like. You can't focus uh, the way that, and if your husband's a priest, that's what I was about to he's say. Not like with not you. just a You're, not just a mom with a baby in the right. liturgy, a mom with a baby in the liturgy whose husband is not there with. Yes, him. like you're at the altar, right? And when Nathan's at the altar, Nathan's not mine. I mm-hmm. don't consider him mine. He's he's there. He's God's in a much more real way than all the time being God's. He's gods um and it's me and the kids and you can't concentrate you're trying to make sure that they concentrate that they're getting something out of it um and it's it's difficult to really zero in so yeah that makes it hard and you sometimes want to just go by yourself or you want to just give your kids to the lady that's sitting on the pew behind you Mm -hmm. (laughs) um it's, it is, it's hard. You're having to train them in the ways of the Lord as you train yourself in the ways of the Lord. And it's very difficult. Can I ask, uh, I, Father Michael, I know this is your episode, but can I ask two Please. questions to Allie? Um, because I think this is, these are the things that a lot of our listeners are going to be wondering. So one is that um, when, when people talk about the married priesthood um, in the in the Eastern churches, they'll often make the comparison. I've made this comparison to my. I've made this comparison myself of um, being married to a priest is is similar to like I grew up with a dad in the military, right? Mm-hmm. And so he'd be on six or nine month deployments, and um, and so like often the mom is kind of like a single mom, mm-hmm. um, and. Um, or b- being married to a firefighter or a police officer, like someone who could just be called away at any moment for a sick call. And, mm-hmm. um, and that's, that's all, um, I, I think that's accurate to an extent, but I want to hear your thoughts um, on, there's, there's something unique to being married to a priest mm-hmm. that you don't have with like military or firefighters or police of, of you're also called to like, a spiritual presence to the people as right. the priest's wife, um, and and like you're you're a mother to the parish mm-hmm. in a way, in in the sense that Father Nathan is a father to the parish. And so I'd like your thoughts on that, like that unique aspect mm-hmm. of the vocation of being a priest's wife, um, because this very much was a vocation that you discerned together, yes. right? And that's that's emphasized in our churches. Like a man is not accepted into priestly formation if his wife is not on board in in our formation because it's like yeah that was one of the beautiful of things and, about going through seminary is mm-hmm. they involved me in in such a bigger way than the other the previous seminaries did had involved me sorry to say that for the protestant <laughs> seminaries but yeah. i never knew the teachers i never knew the professors i didn't know anybody but at 
St. Cyril and Methodius. I knew the teachers. I was going in and, and sitting in on the classes. I knew I knew everybody, you know, and the bishop was coming over to our house. Mm-hmm. Allie, are you on board with this? Are you okay with this? So that was that was really big for me to feel like they needed me to be on board, on board yeah. for them to be on board. So I'd like to hear, I'd like to hear from you about that, like this aspect of um, what's unique to being a priest's wife, mm-hmm. as opposed to just being married to like someone who's always on call. But yeah. then, um, but then also, I, I think that in some sense, y'all have the advantage that a lot of our married priests don't have of like coming from a Protestant background. um, It's not uncommon to have a a married pastor, right? Like that, that aspect of it is very normal. Um, But I'd like to know if you can think of something, Allie, like what's been, we asked both of our parents this when Father Michael and I had our parents on, um, on the podcast, like what's been a surprising grace from mm. the vocation as a priest's wife, like what's mm. been what's been something that you feel your I family can evangelize. Has- as soon as I say I'm married to a priest, people are like, "What? <laughs> married to a priest?" First, they're a little bit scandalized, and uh-huh. then I get to explain to them, you know, what we are and what that means, and it just creates an instant relationship. I can talk to them about. Mm about why I'm married to a priest and what that means. And um, so it's really made a way for me to evangelize wherever I go. Hmm. Um, something that that was big for me in seminary um, t- saying to the new gals coming in is you just have to let him go. Hmm. You have to release him to God, whatever that means. That might mean... He's not there for bath time at night. He's not there for dinner time. He's not, he's not there when you want him there at those times when you're like, these are the times I need you there, honey. He, he just might not be able to be there because you're giving him to God. And in that, you're giving him to the people. Um, so I think you have to come into it with an openness to give up your husband when necessary. Mm. Um, and that I think there there is a grace to that. There's times where God just says to me, no, just not now, mm-hmm. not now. It's not the time. Um, he's mine right now. So for me, that's my relationship with, with Christ when he has to speak to my heart and say, not right now. Mm-hmm. I need him right now. And there's a grace there that he's, I'm able to give him up in that. And God helps me in, in whatever I thought that I would need him in. Uh, but being open to giving him up at all times and when necessary, when God asks, has been big for me. That's really beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. Mm-hmm. You know, I one thing I wanted to say, both when you were talking, Father Nathan, and you now, Allie, I think so often when we when we have these discussions in the U.S. about married priests versus celibate priests, we always emphasize like what do we do with our freedom what do we do with our strength you know is people always ask well how does a married priest serve in a parish they don't have time that's always the question um you know they 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 rarely ever ask how does a celibate live alone mm-hmm. you know without anybody's feet to wash right basil says who without you know that was you know who who who's what what's the phrase? <laughs> um, when he was when his disciples asked him whether he thought it was better to be a hermit or to be in the, the cenobitic life, in other words, to live in community, um, 
when asked which of those was better, he said, if you live alone, whose feet will you wash? Yeah. yeah. So, so yeah. like, but so there's, we, we always talk about the, the time and like the practical things like you said about Nathan. Um, but I, I wonder, I've always been fascinated by some translations of the widow's might because Jesus says, um, you know, be like her. She gave from her lack. Mm. So I, I think there, there's something, and he says, you know, she's given more than all those other others. Like there's something about giving from our lack mm-hmm. that I think is the more Christian way to do it. So if we're only talking about, if we're only talking about the who has more time, who has more peace of mind, you know, a celibate has more time, but a married man may have more peace of mind if the celibate didn't discern or is not prayerful enough or doesn't have priests that he has some sort of sense of community with, mm-hmm. you know, that there may be a lack of peace of mind. But I wonder if, if one of the beauties of this is to lean into the poverty aspect. If we lean into what we are lacking, mm-hmm. then we can actually give from that place. I thought of this, especially when you were talking, Ali, like your, your, the gift of you giving your husband to God and, and God's people mm-hmm. at those moments and, and allowing Christ to, to take him and actually seeing grace in that. Mm-hmm. Like you're, you're being like the widow you're you're giving from your lack, from certainly from your abundance, because your 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 husband, you you have certainly we all know this very much of an abundance in your life with your beautiful family, I think mm-hmm. like that. But you're also giving from your lack. And when we are, what do they say? If you want something, if you want to get something done, give it to a busy person to do, mm-hmm. right? Because they they if they're busy, they can get it done. They know how to get things done. They they often do that. They can get a lot done. The same thing is true for if you if you have a man or a woman who is able to give themselves a lot, they give themselves a lot to a lot of different things that they, they, they are able to give from their lack. And Christ mm-hmm. empowers he does their poverty yeah. to be very beneficial. And so um, if, hard, they, if they allow it to be right, like that's the yes. beautiful witness of what Ali's saying is yeah. the poverty, yes. the ache, the lack becomes for her when she allows it to be a place of encounter yes as opposed to yes. a place of despair like yeah he becomes to me what Nathan can't be during mm-hmm. that time he becomes my husband which is that which is celibacy yeah. which is well that's, that's what I was about to say like yeah. that's actually I'm sorry I just cut you off Father Michael but um, no. I'm not sorry enough to let it go back to you though um, <laughs> the, it's beautiful because it's like we talk about how as monastics we're meant to be the reference point for all Christians um, and I think like you're living out that monastic truth mm. like you're the witness um, to the married people that we can't bring our finite expect, or sorry, our infinite needs to the finite being that we're married to. Like, I'm not married to a finite being, but like you're witnessing <laughs> to that to all of the married couples right. in the parish and all the married couples that you encounter. That like because in fact, if you were to bring those needs to your husband, they would be crushing to him, mm-hmm. um, and you would be disappointed, right? Yes. And that's the truth for all of us. But when you're not married to a priest, you're not married to a um, someone in the military, you're not married to a police officer. It's like easier to self deceive. Mm-hmm. And like, God doesn't even allow you that self-deception. And so anyways, that's just a really beautiful witness. Mm -hmm. Any thoughts, Father Nathan, on any of that? Or if the Spirit's leading you in a different direction? No, I think that's that's a good point. Um, Yeah, the being a married priest, God does not allow very much self-deception that that is very true very true because um 
you have you'll go through struggles with with a family um, with with marriage um, just like any other married person uh, maybe even more because there's more stresses um, with a family with kids uh, with extended family with you're, you're dealing with your own issues um, you're dealing with um, the, the difficulties of life and so there's no opportunity to kind of you just well, not everybody's the same, but but certainly in, in my own experience, what I can say is, you you might go, okay, well, I just wanna, I just wanna be happy. I just wanna, I just want to uh, have, you know, just enjoy the the benefits and fruits that that um, everyone else gets to experience whenever they want. And and God oftentimes goes, no, 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 you're going to experience um, what it's like to give yourself, right? Uh, my favorite icon is the extreme humility of Christ, mm-hmm. right? And it's and it's one where, and again, I'm speaking out of my own experience. Um, God just continually goes, "This is kind of where I, I want you at, right?" And and I can go, God, you know, I, but I want to be able to laugh and like like everyone else gets to laugh all the time. Like I want to be able to be happy all the time. Like everyone else gets to be happy all the time. And sometimes God just goes, "No, no, no, that's not that's not what I have for you. Like that's not the part of my son that I have." in mind particularly for you to manifest as much as that is your nature by by nature i'm a pretty like like i joke a lot people say that i that i that i'm not even that i can never be serious at times right um because i'm just constantly playing around sorry can you can you explain the icon of extreme humility just a lot of our listeners will be familiar with the the icon of extreme humility is it's the image of christ after he's been crucified and taken down um and um his his face is rather lifeless, um, and, and so it's the extreme humility that that um, you know uh, God the Son, um, you know the the human the human God the Son, not the not the, the divine. Don't want to get called out for heresy or something. <laughs> is 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 is, is um, has given his complete life that he's completely emptied of all mm-hmm. life uh, lifeliness. Right. That's that's you you see that and you go God did that for us. He gave everything for us, um, and so. Um, certainly I can't, um, I, I just noticed that I, I can't get away from that image from God, that he seems to constantly be bringing it back to my mind and, and working on my own deficiencies there, right? And, and a life of marriage and, and children is by far the easiest road towards that mm-hmm. for me, um, and so that that is that is um, a you want to could say uh, a benefit, right? Because it's the it's the economy of God for my salvation, or one could see that as a negative. You know, maybe maybe you could um, you you would be uh, you'd you'd find a lot a life a lot easier if you if you did not have to have those considerations, right? Mm-hmm. Well, but I certainly would not. For me personally, I would not um, mimic that icon. I would not be like that mm-hmm. icon if if I didn't have those those experiences with with family and um, so there's it's it there is a sense for me in which yeah God definitely uses uses married life and children to remind me like I, I'm not allowed to be self deceived mm-hmm. about this life and about how quickly it's passing and that death is just around the corner. I can never be tricked about that. It's always at, at the forefront of my mind and my imagination. Yeah, so that's true. It, it is, it's definitely the case where on the days, and I know if Carolina's listening, Carolina's like my 
my uh, helps in the parish with administrative assistant, mm-hmm. like making sure that I'm I have a to do list, get everything done because that's not my specialty. But like the days where I don't touch my to do list, um, because my ministry was drawn out of me by people, like I didn't plan it, I didn't intentionally do it. I just I woke from the moment I woke up to the moment I went to bed, it was just putting out fires mm-hmm. and like, okay, I'm, I'm dealing with ministry all day long, have no time to plan. Nothing is intentional. Those are one of the best days of ministry. Mm-hmm. And I imagine that's what it's like to be a parent. Mm. You know, it's like, literally, I don't, I don't, I plan the day and I get my kids to school. I get them home, I get them fed, but like what the day is going to bring as far as what their needs are, what the themes in their heads are and what they're going to want for me at the time and the energy, like that's just, pulled out, Mm -hmm. they define what that is, not me. And of course there needs to be wisdom. We need to kind of um, give some sort of guidance and structure and order and being responsible. But I, I imagine that's what that's kind of again going back to the widow's might, and we 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 give from our poverty. I think it, we are earthen vessels. You know, we are we are grains of wheat cracked open, or life mm-hmm. comes through. the 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 way of any criticisms of married priesthood don't understand that. They don't understand that that a man who can give himself completely to his wife and kids can also give himself completely to the parish, can also give himself completely to God because it is out of the lack, out of the poverty, out of, out of the Christ's grace that comes from that death to self. That's where grace is is passed out to others, mm-hmm. spread out to others. Um, you know, I, I really do think any time that, that a priest complains about being too busy. Now we're all busy, but when we complain about being busy, mm-hmm. we're 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 actually deceiving ourselves about, you know, where we're putting our energies. Are we being wise and responsible? Are we? And I do it. I, I'm I'm weak in that way because I don't I don't always see that my busyness is a good thing, but I also don't always see that my exhaustion is of God, and it probably mm-hmm. is. You know, um, so there, there. But there's something about if we saw. The, the way that grace flowed from us when we were not in control, when we were lacking, when, we, when, our, when our ministry was being drawn out of us, rather than when we were being intentional about it, I think we would see that, that the benefits of God's work, his hand, his voice is actually more fruitful mm-hmm. if, if, we are, if we're broken open and weak than if we're somehow planning our own aspect and our own role in the kingdom of God. Because when it's being drawn out of us, we can be confident that it's him and that it's not us, yeah. right? It's the, it's the I must decrease so that he he may increase. Yeah. And I think that there's this this beautiful parallel between the married life and monasticism of what comes just very naturally to marriage. Um, a lot of those things are chosen intentionally in our monasticism. So I'm thinking of just the fact that like, we have vigils and we have mm. fasting and we have all of these like intense um, ascetic practices uh, that just come from like, Ali, there are certainly times that like, you know, I've, I've seen you like get lunch for your kids and you're just so focused on getting all of their plates together that at the end, it's like, oh, you finally get food too. And so it's like, you have to set aside your hunger in order to to just care for your children. And and I can't imagine how many times it's like, you've had to just skip meals because you're just so focused on providing for them right. or- But uh, I don't want to have it go without being said that when you leave your family for the sake of Christ, he provides- family wherever you go. And in each yeah. church that we've gone to, he's provided the aunts, the uncles sitting around this table are aunts and uncles. And we've had the grandparents and, and, and people brought into their lives. Mm-hmm. So when you leave 
for him, for the sake of him, he just gives a whole lot more where you thought you you wouldn't have, where yeah. that would be gone. Yeah. Um, and that is truly a blessing that my children have been so loved by mm-hmm. so many people. And and the same the same is true for monastics of just like God provides in abundance for for like He can't be outdone in generosity. Right. right. We talk about absolutely. This all the time. I think I think one of the 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 difficulties in the this conversation, not just this one, but the the bigger cultural conversation of of monasticism and and. Um, um, versus, you know, the married life is that, is that we want to make these like these ontological categories, right? In other words, like categories of, of separation between like perfection and non-perfection and better and, 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 and less, less good. And, you know, th- mm-hmm. these kinds of conversations are the things that, that tend to drive, um, the way we talk. And it, and it really is, is, um, it's really a shame. Um, because, um, you know, we're not Gnostics and God created this, this whole universe with the purpose of it, of a fulfilling, uh, uh, the, the, the same end, right? Of glorifying him and perfecting us in, in the, in the image and likeness of his son. Um, and so really that, and this is why I'm, I'm going back to my previous statement. You know, this really needs to be a conversation about what's most practical for fulfilling the end that God has created us towards, right? How am I going to uh, attain holiness? How am I as an individual with particular needs, Mm. with a particular algorithm of life, who's very unique and unlike anyone else, going to be transformed into the image and likeness of Christ? And if we answer questions along those lines, um, and not with regard to this, this strange cultural conversation about who's better um, uh, and who's, who's worse and how can I be superior um, or less superior. I mean, you know, how have I taken the lower road? This kind of way of processing, it's really not, it's not healthy. It's not healthy for those who, who are taking the superior road um, uh, or who are, who are taking the lesser road because they don't think that they're holy or something. That, that's, that's really, it's not healthy. I don't think at a psychological level, I don't think it's healthy at a theological level. I really think we just need to have, be having serious discernment about how am I going to be, um, how, how is God going to help me to attain to the likeness of his son? Like specifically Nathan Adams. Yes. Yeah. How is Nathan Adams, right? How is, how, how is uh, Cowboy? How is Father Michael? How is <laughs> Alec? How are we going to be made holy? Mm-hmm. Um, and and we, we know this more by our life, our real life circumstances, not some kind of like Gnostic fantasy where we're, you know, dislocated from our, from the, the history that God has placed us in, right? We're not, it's not going to do any good to fantasize about, um, being in a different life or, or fantasize about, you know, if only I could be up in a mountain and separated from, you know, the, the difficulties of my life, or mm-hmm. if only if I could be with a family. These are delusions, right? Mm-hmm. The, the fathers continually warn against these kinds of delusions. Um, we're really called to be firmly rooted in the real life situation that, we're, that, that God's placed us in. And Ali can testify, this is a hard one for me because 
I am by nature a future projector. I am constantly looking into possibilities <laughs> and into the future. There's a reason I've been to four different Protestant or four different seminaries. Right? There's a reason I'm now pursuing a pontifical degree. I'm constantly changing and doing different things and updating my thinking and 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 thinking big ideals, right? But it's so this is a conviction. What I'm saying, it's not necessarily. Um, all of my life experience of what I've actually done. But it is a conviction of mine that, that I, Nathan Adams, and I think all of you too, need to be right here, right here present in this historical reality and think from there. How how am I going to be made holy? That's all that matters at the end. Amen. Do you have any final thoughts, Ali, Father Nathan? Oh, I do. Okay. Sorry. Please. Okay. This is going back to what we what we said in that previous podcast about um, bears or whatever it was the culture of bears. <laughs> the culture of bears. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So so this thing this thing about um, Mayor, you know, um, Father Mike had brought up about his best days are are sometimes those days where parishioners overwhelm him, <laughs> right? Uh, yes. In short, in short, yeah, yeah, um, and and parishioners and um, spiritual children. We, <laughs> Let's put that out there. We we don't oftentimes um, have the same experience as parents, mm. right? If you're going to find very few parents, are going to go. The day was awesome. My kids kept me from getting anything done. Um, well, I think part part of that is that it goes back to this this cultural commentary, which mm-hmm. goes. Well, you're just a parent. You're not a monastic. Mm. What you're doing is not really for God. Like, yeah, it is for God, right? Like, but it's, I mean, you're, come on, you're enjoying family and kids and you have all the benefits. I think that's totally false, false way of looking at it. We've, that, that passage that I quoted earlier where St. Paul says that a woman is cha- uh, saved through childbearing, right? Mm-hmm. That, that is the theosis of a, of a mother. And they should be thoroughly encouraged that they've picked the best possible road for themselves that God mm-hmm. that God would want them on to attain their salvation. And so the only way that that that, that can be a joyful operation when kids take away from all of the the things in the day and you don't get anything accomplished is if you if if, if we are genuinely convinced mm-hmm. with all of our heart that the vocation that God has given us um, is is in fact dying to ourselves mm-hmm. for the benefit of the gospel, for our salvation, that what we're doing is holy and pleasing before God and he accepts it on his, on his altar, right? And that the more you give of yourself, the more he gives of himself to you, I would say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And that, that, it, that, it, that what you're doing is just as holy as what a priest is doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, that what you're doing is just as much a part of the sanctification of the world mm-hmm. um, as as what a monastic is doing. Uh, I, if if it's if it is if we understand um, what the mother what the mother's role is as less significant spiritually as as a monastic, I think I think we're making a major major mistake. We're not thinking about this accurately. That's not the reality. That's not the practical scenario. Uh, I mean, practical reality. We're we're all being sanctified through the precise means that God wants to sanctify us. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we should not be trying to fantasize and get out of what God has placed us in. So firmly rooted in reality, trust that God is sanctifying. Amen.
All right, thank you both. That was wonderful. Yeah, thank you. you. That was that was our more, listeners are going to be so happy. That was more spirit led than I hoped for. So thank you. I thought that went very very well. Um, so I'm going to give a quick spiel about where they can people can find us online and things like that, and then we'll each do prayer intentions. Yes, you forgot last time, mother. That's oh, okay. <laughs> um, thank you for announcing that. And, and then and then and then we'll do quick prayer intention for each of us, including Maddie and Cowboy, and then uh, and then the Father, if you could give a blessing at the end, like you did last time too. All right. Um, so thank you all for listening. Um, you can find us on all the platforms, um, but we'd love if you could uh, rate and recommend us and comment on Apple Podcasts. Uh, we are on Facebook. We're on Instagram. I'm on Twitter at Padre Michael O. We have a Goodreads where you can see what we're reading and you can share what you're reading and have a conversation with our media team. We're also on YouTube, but audio only. Uh, we have a website, whatgodisnot.com. We also have a nonprofit where we support evangelization of the world, other projects, and the poor, the hungry, thirsty, strangers, naked, ill, and imprisoned. That's fotina.org. You can support us on our Patreon um, to give monthly to support this mission of this podcast and the other missions that we have. Um, and I think that is everything. That's all. Oh, Fortina.org, I think I mentioned. And then that. Patreon, I mentioned that too. Okay, I think that's everything. Uh, so we'll ask to go around the table and give some prayer intentions. Um, I am going to ask, we have, um, just pray for the, the seminarians of the Eparchy of Phoenix. Um, we have some that are dating, uh, some that are married, and some that are celibate. We actually have all three within our eparchy mm. um, right now. So please pray for all those who are discerning the various vocations, um, especially in the eparchy. And I'll say the eparchy of Parma as well, because mothers in the eparchy of Parma are technically. Um, but just pray for all seminarians who are discerning and those who are discerning um, marriage and and celibacy, both not even monastic life. Not even technically. I just am eparchy of Parma. She is the eparchy of Parma, technically <laughs> and, and otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Mother, go ahead. Okay, so I'm going to ask for prayers for uh, single mothers because I think that there's a lot of similar struggles to what Allie was sharing of like being the wife of a priest and just that they can be open to similar graces to what she was sharing um, and and to open those struggles up to be places of encounter with the Lord instead of instead of places of uh, of distress or despair. Um, I'd actually like to pray for Allie's parents and siblings and Father Nathan's mom um, that the struggles they have in this unique but beautiful priest and marriage life um, bring all of them together to Christ. Thank you. Um, I'm going to ask for prayers just for my family in general, my parents, my brothers, and my sister-in-law. And your niece. And my niece, Charlotte. I'm going to ask for prayers for my two eldest daughters um, starting school and just the kind of identity crisis going on um, in junior high and high school and that, that they would be able to be a light where they're at. Yeah. Okay. And I'll pray. Uh, my intention is for um, celibate priests to um, be aware of the temptation to the desire to be married and, uh, and vice versa, that the Lord would yeah, watch guard. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> And vice versa, that married, that, um, that married priests would not be tempted to be celibate priests. And confidence and 
peace in your vocation. Confidence and peace in the vocation. Right. Father bless. Okay. May Christ our true God have mercy on us and save all of us. Um, may he continually um, make his will known to us, uh, not through revealing it all at once, but by unfolding his, his presence and the real life experiences of our day-to-day lives. And we humbly accept the circumstances that he places us in. And may we joyfully receive them as the means of our salvation, uh, as a lifeboat by which he will take us through the storm of this life. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.